Hello there, everyone, and here's the intro that hasn't been made yet. <laughs> if you watched yesterday's episode or listened to yesterday's episode, you heard me tell you that I need to record an, an intro to this whole thing so that I don't have to keep like, you know, it's really, really difficult for me to come on and be like, hey, everybody, I'm the MC, and then transition into, you know, talking about things of substance. And so that's not to insult any MCs out there. I mean, you all play a very important role, but it's very rare that the MC is also the person who you came to listen to, right? So there's a reason for that. So uh, please bear with me here as I um, figure out this transition. So um, as you also know, uh, we're now doing these uh, podcast and YouTube video episodes in two different segments. Now, that's not true on YouTube. On YouTube, it's just one video, right? Just one video that I splice together and just post it because, yeah, I have like it would require a lot of posting, you know, double the amount, in fact. Um, and so that's going to get very confusing for me and for you and for everyone. So on the podcast side, however, <clears throat> there are two separate files, right? So you listen to the first one and then you'll go in and listen to the second one. So just throwing that out there to everybody. <clears throat> but that too, if any of you are, um, you know, aware of any other techniques to to accomplish this sort of thing, lay them on me, okay? Because I am not, I am not an expert in any of this, and I, I guess it shows. It definitely shows. You know, there's there's people who um, <laughs> who really have polished videos out there and polished YouTube. Uh, I'm sorry, polished uh, podcasts and. Yeah, I'm working towards it, but I'm not there yet. And I am aware enough and compassionate towards myself enough to be able to admit that this is a shortcoming of mine. Okay. And that's going to be in the next segment. So let's, let's put that aside for now and I'll come back to that. But today or in this segment today, I want to talk about something that's just absolutely fascinating. Something I've heard before a long time ago, but, uh, was reminded in this wonderful book, uh, called self-compassion, um, the proven power of being kind to yourself by one Kristen Neff, PhD, who I talk about here a lot. This book is 10 years old, so it's not breaking news or anything, but it's amazing to know that even 10 years ago, she was this far into her research and to know how much further it's come. So it's, it's really amazing. So anyway, uh, in this book, um, she talks about the Lake Wobegon effect. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this term before. I have, and I've also heard of Lake Wobegon without really knowing what the heck it is. You know, it's just, it's this, you know, sort of fictional place that we, you know, we hear the name, like that name is really hard to forget, right? Lake Wobegon, because really what it's saying is sadness is gone, right? If you're in this Lake Wobegon, my woe is gone gone, right? And so it turns out that it is a fictional um, place, right, that uh, comes from a book, and I don't know the name of the book. I think it's something about Lake Wobegon, uh, but the, the author is uh, Garrison Keeler, uh, or Kyler, I'm not sure how, she how he or she pronounces their name. Uh, I've never read the book. I'm not a big fan of it or anything like that, but I just, again, um, Dr. Neff talks about it, and so in Lake Wobegon, the, the author, Garrison Keeler, or Keller, or Kyler, or whatever, however you pronounce this person's name, you know, they describe Lake Wobegon as a place where all the men are good looking, all the women are strong, and all the children are above average. Now, that right there, that last line, all the children are above average, <laughs> that says all you need to know, right? That it's not possible, right? There's just... 
it's it's not possible for all of anything to be above average, right? A, average is taking the range of the best and the 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 most and the least and combining that to what is an average, right? That's how that's what an average is, right? And so so psychologists have coined this term the Lake Wobegon effect to describe of and this is probably why the person wrote the book and probably why the book became very famous is that we all have this tendency to overestimate our abilities or our qualities as per the rest of society and this is and this is with qualities that our culture promotes as positive right so so in america right and this is all backed by research i mean she's got percentages in here and stuff from from research right uh, but but in america we tend to believe that we are like you know like 90 percent of people re reported that they feel like they're more hardworking, right um you know 90 percent of people believe that they're they're above average drivers right in fact even <laughs> even people who have caused car accidents and been been uh, uh served in these these research projects, even the people who cause car accidents rate themselves as better than average drivers, right? And so, in fact, we also, according to Dr. Neff, we also have you know Americans tend to uh, tend to rate ourselves as being above average in the ability to be objective about ourselves. <laughs> So it's a real a real conundrum here, right? And so here's the problem with this, right? We're laughing about it, but but it's a true thing. Like like this this is based on research here, right? This is not just an opinion, right? This is based on hardcore research that shows that this is what people really feel, right? And so so what happens then, right? Because it's impossible, right? Just like the line in the in the uh, from the book, right? It's impossible for all of anything to be above average, right? So, so in any situation, if more than fifty percent of of any culture, population, society believes that it's above average in anything, anything over fifty percent is just wrong. It's impossible. Right? You literally cannot have more than 50% of anything be above average. That's the truth. That's, that's the way math works, right? So therefore, and this is, this is where it goes beyond just a silly concept, right? And just a, a foible of the human psyche, right? Because therefore, since it's untrue that 90% of us can be better than average at anything, right? We have to now you know, again, that goes back to when we uh, talked many months ago about um, uh, cognitive dissonance, right? So I believe that I'm better than, you know, everybody except 10% of the people out there. But yet I know that that's not true, right? We learned percentages and averages, what, in like fifth, sixth grade or something like that, right? So we all know that it's not true. So therefore, that cognitive dissonance needs somewhere to go. And it needs some way to make this make sense somehow. And that's where we do something that is very specific and very well studied. And that is what psychologists call downward social comparison, Okay, and that's just a fancy way of saying, in order for me to feel that I am above average on something, I have to see you as below average on that same something, right? You know, 
because the fact of the matter is, right, that we are all pretty close to the average, right? There's very few outliers on either the positive scale or the negative scale, right? And so what that means is that there's always likely to be somebody who is better looking than you, that has more money than you, that has, you know, you know, children that do something that yours don't, that there's, you know, that there's always going to be somebody that's got something that you think you're good at that somebody's better at, right? And so in order, again, the cognitive dissonance, the way that we grapple with this, the way we do the mental gymnastics to make this work for ourselves is that we say things like a quote from Dr. Neff here is like, oh, sure, you got a lot more money than me, but look at that bald spot, right? Where what we do is, and this is all happening unconsciously, right? The Lake Wobegon effect and the, the downward social comparison is, is all happening subconsciously, okay? Outside of our conscious intentional mind, right? That's what we mean by that, right? And so, and so, so therefore, right? What's happening is, and, and as you know, we all have this negativity bias already, right? Which makes us much more likely to tend to see things that are negative around us than positive things, right? So when you add that negativity bias, which is also a, an implicit bias, something way outside your conscious awareness, but when we connect that implicit bias to the implicit bias of downward social comparison, well, then we're, we're surrounding ourselves with a lot of negativity, right? And this negativity, as I've mentioned a lot, right, is the opposite of optimism, right? Which is a key core of your well-being, right? It's a key constituent of your well-being is your ability to be optimistic, right? And so, so we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, folks. That's what I'm saying here, right? Like, like because we are constantly looking at, you know, we're looking at ourselves constantly as saying, I must be higher than average because what that means then, right, is that we're judging that if we're below average, then that's bad. And, and we can't be that, right? Like that's no good. So I'm not allowed to go down there. So now, therefore, the only thing I can do now is see others, the flaws in others, right? And, and see their flaws and their shortcomings and their foibles and their mistakes and, and amplify those in my mind so that I can justify this idea that I am not below average because remember, that is bad, okay? So you can see how all this kind of seeps in and, and eventually this permeates every area of our lives, right? This permeates the way we parent. It permeates the way we go to work. It permeates the way we drive, the way we shop for food, the way we absorb news, the way we go on social media. It affects all of those things and more literally everything. It's like dumping sand into a box, in a jar full of like golf balls, right? The sand is going to find all those little nooks and crannies. And that's what the negativity does too. And it's hurting us physically, it's hurting us mentally, and it's hurting us emotionally. And most of all, what it's doing is it's preventing us from connecting to each other, right? And that connection is also a very, very strong and powerful aspect of your well-being, the ability to connect to other humans. It's very important to your well-being, mentally, physically, emotionally. So you can see how we're literally making ourselves sick with this. Okay, so now here's the good news, especially for all of you who have been following the Showing Up to Life podcast and YouTube channel. 
is that through mindfulness, right, we can embrace the idea that, yeah, it's not possible for everybody to be above average, right? We can see this for what it is. And then through compassion, and as you know, I don't like to look at compassion for others as different from compassion to myself. It's compassion for both, right? And when we practice compassion for others, we are able to see the positive. We're able to comfortably see the positive nature. We're able to praise that positive aspect. We can actually see people as being amazing. And at the same time, the compassion that we show to ourselves allows us to be okay with the fact that there are people who are going to be better. There's a better mindfulness teacher out there somewhere, and that's okay. I don't have to be better than anyone else. I just have to be as good as I can be. I just have to be me. And that's all I can ever give to the universe. And that's all you can ever give to the universe. And so practicing compassion for yourself and for others is what facilitates that, especially when it's done in the context of mindful awareness, which is non-judging, loving awareness of the whole world around us. All right? So get practicing, folks, because that's the thing, right? That these practices are simple and they're easy. I mean, easy. Folks, really, I mean, practicing compassion is like, it's one of the easiest things that I do. <laughs> and I do a lot of stuff in my day and not that many challenging things, honestly. You know, I'm just parenting and I'm, I mean, it gets challenging, but like practicing compassion is the most simple and, and again, easiest thing. It takes just a few minutes and it changes everything. Because the thing is, a lot of people will tell you that in order to feel compassion towards others, we have to feel compassion to ourselves. That's actually, the research shows that that's not really true. But I would argue that it also works the other way, right? That if I can feel compassion to everyone else, then eventually that compassion comes back to me too, right? So it really is just a circular thing. So if you want to start with yourself, go for it. If you want to start with someone else, that's fine too. But seriously, it's just a few minutes a day. You know, if you could do 10 minutes a day, I promise you, your life will change in like half a year. Seriously. Like you'll see significant differences in every, again, in every area of your life. You know what to do now, right? There's a link in the, in the description to get in touch with me. Let me teach you some of these practices, okay? I promise you it can be made affordable. It can be made convenient. And I am so eager to help you. All right, that's 15 minutes. I'm looking at my clock over here. That's what I'm distracted with. So end of this segment, I'll see you in the next segment. Just a second. All right, welcome back to segment two of today's episode. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, sorry I said that twice, but anyway, I really do welcome you back. I'm really excited to be back here with you. Um, so, so this second segment I actually just did, I, I post these two segments as, uh, as TikTok videos, but very condensed, right? TikTok is only 60 seconds. You do have the opportunity to do three minutes on TikTok, but if you do three minutes, you can't, people can't, um, stitch or duet your videos. And I'm just dying for somebody to stitch and duet my video. That's where they can like use my video and kind of add to it. It's a really fascinating platform. Um, all video. So if somebody asks me a question, 
I actually reply with a video, which is really awesome, as you can imagine. I'm a big fan of that. Um, and so, so yeah, so I do these same um, these same topics I cover in just a very capsulated, very condensed um, uh, version that's a minute long, right? So it's from 15 minutes down to one minute. You know, it's it's a challenge and it's really fun too. Um, and so I started today's TikTok video about this segment uh, by saying. I have a confession to make. And the confession is that, and I, did, I said it much quicker than this on TikTok, but which is where I love this format because it gives me time to, ah, like I can breathe and talk about stuff. But anyway, um, sorry to delay. I don't mean to do that by the same token. But, uh, but, but anyway, I said the, the confession that I have to make is that I wasn't always this mindful. I wasn't always this self-aware and I wasn't always this compassionate towards others or myself, right? And that's the truth, right? In fact, as I said in my TikTok video also, up until about 10 years ago, it could be argued that I was the least of all of those things out of everyone I knew. That's probably not quite true, but I was down there. I was like way down in the percentage. Like I was in the, you know, way, 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 way down, right? If I wasn't the least, I was close to it. And so the reason I say that is for two reasons. Number one, I want you to know that if I can do it, you can do it. If I can do it, anyone can do it, seriously. And I mean that truly. Like, like I, for years, I tried to get into meditation. I knew that meditation was the thing for me like I, I had this instinctive idea that, that uh, you know, meditation could help me with my anger and with my, um, you know, intrusive thoughts and my, my, you know, stress and my anxiety and the depression that I would feel from time to time. I knew that meditation would help with all of that, okay? But yet I believed that I couldn't do it. I believed that it was impossible for me. I mean, one thing was because I was a cigarette smoker for all those years. And so I just, I, I can't breathe right. I mean, I, I don't breathe well. So how can I do that? Of course, for me, not breathing well was like a family value. You know, all of my grandparents, all my aunts and uncles, you know, all wheezing by the time they're in their 40s, you know. Um, so that seemed like a very acceptable thing for me, right? Um, so growing up, yeah, I was always afraid to get into it. I was always repelled by it. Because I just didn't feel like I was the kind of person who could meditate, right? So that's why I say, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And so here's the, the, the really important thing, though, that, that I want to share um, as a result of this, right? Because remember, I said I was also the least self-aware person. And, and that's true, right? Like, the only thing I was aware of was whatever was getting me high at the time, right? Like, that's all the awareness I had. And that counted cigarettes and caffeine as much as it counted, you know, cannabis and cocaine, right? It was all of, you know, that, that was where I felt my feelings was when I was getting high on some kind of substance, right? And so I was truly the least self-aware person. And, and, and if you had told me back then, and even now, the, you know, even a, a few years ago, when somebody told me that, that it was all about self-awareness, I was like, no, nah, uh-uh, it can't be all about self-awareness. 
I mean, we're all aware of ourselves, right? Again, that Lake Wobegon effect from last from the last segment, right? Like, I assumed that I was more mindful, more compassionate, more all of that stuff, and I assumed that I had, you know, that that I was more capable of things, right? I assumed that I was more self-aware than I really was, and so. Right. And so so it wasn't that, you know, so, so when somebody told me that, you know, again, like six, seven, eight years, like way early on, you know, and ironically, this is not what John Kabat-Zinn talks about. Right. With stress reduction through mindfulness, it's about becoming aware of the stress. Right. And it's becoming aware through the body scan of, of relaxing that stress. Right. But John Kabat-Zinn is working with people who are hospital bound. Well, it's an outpatient service, but people have been in hospitals and are, are later in their life and dealing with their bodies breaking down from stress. So this is not a time to mess around. You know, he's going right for it. Right. And so, so ironically, it took a couple of years before this concept of self-awareness really came through. And if you want, you know, there's a great episode of the Learning to Surf podcast where I interviewed an old friend of mine, actually one of the people who was instrumental in getting me into meditation. His name is Scott Tillett. Um, he's not a coach. He's not a mentor or nothing like that. It's just a guy, really awesome dude, who is very deeply into meditation. Like he goes on 10-day Vipassana retreats like a couple times a year, or at least once a year kind of thing. Um, so, so you might want to check out because he he discusses the, the, the way that self-awareness uh, through uh, Vipassana work, right, which is essentially just a body scan, right? It's just it's just scanning your body over and over. And, and what Scott said was that you can find the source of your suffering, right? And that's that's the concept here, right? But but there's another aspect of self-awareness. And there's many aspects of self-awareness, right? Self-awareness, uh, you know, is part of the uh, the five key domains of uh, social of uh, emotional intelligence, right? Which is the first one, right? Which is self-awareness leads to self-regulation, right? Which is the key to everything, right? Because again, and that's what Scott was saying, like once I can see what's driving me away from regulation, well, then it's easy to just regulate it, right? I can just let it go, right? So, but there's another aspect of of self of self awareness that I want to tell you about today, right? Because this is really, really effective and something that's been probably the most effective thing in my journey, right? For for my healing from trauma and and all the impacts of trauma. Because one of the things that trauma, especially CPTSD, but I think PTSD as well. One of the th the ways in which trauma shows up, right, is in intrusive thoughts, in uh, emotional dysregulation, um, in addiction, uh, you know, behavior, addictive behaviors, because, you know, we're trying not to feel what we feel, right? Like, that's kind of the thing. That's why I said, like, I was never self-aware. I was just aware of, like, whatever was getting me high or whatever I needed to get high, you know, Um and so, so then, right, so, so the idea then is that as we cultivate self-awareness, right, the mechanisms of really the mind, right, which is, you know, again, if you look at mindfulness, the theory is that everything we experience, we experience in four, the four pillars of mindfulness, right, which is in our body, in our emotions, in our thoughts, 
And then in that kind of programming that we've all gone through, right? Like our worldview, our, you know, the genetic, you know, the epigenetic uh, rules that we have for like what we believe is the right way to live, right? That kind of stuff. And that comes from your parents and your grandparents and your ancestors and all that, right? Some of it is even genetic, right? But the idea is that when we're going through those, when we're experiencing things in those four ways, right? As we deepen our self-awareness, what we start to do is we start to feel, we start to experience those four, you know, pillars of mindfulness. We start to, to experience them with a complete objectivity. And I'm at this point now. It takes a little while to get there, but but it's not forever, right? I've only been at this for 10 years. And the first three years or so were not very intense, right? So, you know, so like really... Again, if I can do it, you can do it too. I promise you, right? But you get to this point where I am now, and I'm sure it's going to even get more and more and more the more practice I do, right? But the idea is that I am at a point now where I see the intrusive thoughts, and I see the emotional entanglement, and I see the reactivity, I see the depression, the anxiety, the, the worrisome mind, the perfectionism. I see all that stuff. Almost as though it's happening to someone else. Or as I said on TikTok today, it's almost like I'm watching it as playing on TV, right? And then here's the beautiful thing. And, and today on the TikTok, it was perfect because I was just at the, at the minute mark where I said, and you're watching TV holding the remote so you can always just pause. And then that's where the video ended. <laughs> I was so excited the way that worked. But that's the thing right? That, that when the intrusive thoughts come in and when the, the, the difficult emotions arise and when the body starts feeling a certain way, we can just pause because the self-awareness allows us to understand that these things are happening as a result of the activity of our mind, right? It's when I'm grasping on something or aversion, you know, being aversive towards something, or just not understanding something for what it really is, that that's what drives the thoughts, the emotions, and the sensations of my body, right? Now, of course, once you get trauma involved, it comes a little bit more complicated, right? Because some of those intrusive thoughts are not about what's happening here and now. It's just random memories that come up. But that's, that's a little more complex. But the same rules still apply, right? Because it's still about seeing that process, as though you're watching it on TV and holding that remote control so that you can always just pause, take a deep breath or five or 10, close your eyes, come into your body, check in where you're feeling this feeling, check in with your emotions. What's the, you know, what is it emotionally that you're experiencing right now? Check in with the thoughts. What am I thinking about this thing? Is it possible that the thoughts are not right? Is it possible that the opposite is true from what I'm thinking? Asking those questions and then asking, okay, but what about my, you know, am I seeing my parents in this right now? Am I seeing, you know, my third grade math teacher, you know, whose voice is in my mind right now? We start seeing these things with that level of sort of disidentified objectivity and then it doesn't pull us down. It allows us to, whoo, look at that hot mess. <laughs> I'm going to stay out here where it's more comfortable. That, that old 
It's like watching a mosh pit at a like a punk rock concert, right? Like I'm gonna stay up here on the balcony where I'm safe, you know? And I'll just watch all those people bash each other and having fun. Right? Because that's very much what it is. That's going to be in a, a TikTok video pretty soon. I promise you that. But that's what it is, right? It's like watching a mosh pit of our mind and watching every everything in that mosh pit just crush each other and pound each other. But we don't have to be in the mosh pit. We can be out here on the balcony holding our drink nice and safe. Mine would be a non-alcoholic drink. And being nice and safe and watching it from this safe distance. And and then again, we always have the choice to say, okay, I've had enough of watching this. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go get something to eat, right? I'm going to be in control of my ability to just pause and just, just step away from it. I always have that ability. 100% of the time in every, well, close to 100% of the time in every situation, not in a true emergency, of course, but as I've talked about here, uh, ad nauseum, you know, most of us don't really experience true emergencies, right? We don't. We think we do, but we don't. We can talk about that another time. Um, so thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, in the con in the description below is a link that you can get to talk to me because you know what? If any of this is is reaching you and resonating with you, I think you could benefit from some mindfulness and, and compassion coaching, and I am here to offer that to you, okay? Also, here's a little teaser. Next week, I hope to announce a new program that I'm going to start. Um, only going to accept probably about 10 people into this program, and, uh, and it's going to be about an eight-week program all about self-compassion. So keep an eye out for that next week. I'm just going to put together some, uh, you know, sort of marketing materials and sort of be able to present it in such a way uh, to get you interested and sign up and join me in this very affordable, very convenient group coaching program. All right. More next week. Have a great day, everybody. Wish you well.